Welcome back to the Desert Springs Church Podcast. It exists to supplement the ministry and growth of the body here at Desert Springs Church. My name is Drew. I'm here with Chase and Ryan again, and we're back. We're back. After two weeks off. Good to be back. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot going on in the life of our church, so we're glad to be back. We've got fresh legs, we've got clear eyes and full hearts, and we are ready to continue in what you could call the theological nerdery category of our podcast. And we're going to discuss what's on everybody's mind, systematic mm. theology. Mm. Mm. So it, it actually is on my mind. It is. Yeah, yeah that's true. Quite One, of the you, points we'll make, One of the points we'll make is that it's on our minds more than we think it is. Mm. Mm. Sneaky. It's mm. below the surface mm-hmm. or above it. A little tease. Um, so, so, systematic theology, what it is, uh, how to use it, um, is it good, is it bad, um, and uh, how, how it could apply to the life of our church. So, I know a lot of people will be interested in this topic because we have a lot of theological nerds in our church, which is great. Um, and yay, it may even be useful like for people to understand their Bibles better. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I got the word yay into a mm, podcast. Indeed. So, bonus. <laughs> if you had that on your uh, podcast uh, bingo card. Bingo. Yep, I did. Um, then check it off. So, Ryan, uh, Chase, get us going here. Um, uh, let's talk about yeah, what is systematic theology. Give us a, just a brief definition, Ryan, and then we can go into systematic theology and Christian life and why it's important, why we should use it. So, systematic theology is the study of theology according to historically loci, L-O-C-I, topics, categories. What, what language is that? Latin, sorry. Nerd. Edit this out, Drew. <laughs> so, it, it's according to theological categories or topics. It is the logical analysis of um, different categories of theology. From the whole Bible. From the whole Bible. Yeah. yeah that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's using the whole Bible to piece together a truth, a summary of truth about a certain doctrine. That's what the word loci would mean. Yeah, so it's almost like you're saying you're organizing. You're taking all of the biblical data uh, the, from the whole Bible about any one given category, any one kind of topic. So, you know, pick an example. We could say the Holy Spirit. And so you would kind of take all of the data that the whole Bible says about the Holy Spirit. You're synthesizing that to try to come to some uh, doctrine or some even a, a formal statement, some understanding of this is all of the component pieces of what the Bible is saying about this one particular thing. Yeah. Yeah, so it helps to think of it in terms of a puzzle, right? Systematic theology is the puzzling together of the various biblical pieces that we find. We want to get the pieces right. I know we'll talk more about this in just a little bit, how it relates to interpretation of single passages. But we want to get those individual pieces right, but then we want to ask, how do they fit together? How does this piece fit with this other piece, even if it's from a very different book at a very different time in a different uh, even covenantal context, it still can tell us something about, let's say, God's omnipotence. Right. And I, and I think, it, you know, the Bible is not a systematic theology yeah. book. The Bible is overall a story that's comprised of lots of different genres of literature. So, some of them are actual narratives and some of them are letters from a specific person to a specific group. Some of them are, you know, poetry, all of the, the different forms. So, across that whole spectrum we're getting the different pieces to the puzzle. And so it's it's not at the expense of what the Bible is itself. It's kind of interacting with 
the Bible. Yeah. That way. The Bible does have systematic theological summaries within it. So the book of Romans would be one of those. Mm. I mean, we get a great 101 of the gospel from beginning to end over 16 chapters in the book of Romans. Uh, or these little theological summaries that are sometimes called hymns uh, or creedal statements in Paul. Mm -hmm. Those are summaries. Those are theological summaries. But on the whole, as you said, Chase, the Bible has a storyline uh, those little data points or theological summaries are happening at a certain point in history. We've got to be sensitive to those. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking about um, dehistorizing our Bibles, mm. uh, pulling them out of the covenantal context for good. Mm -hmm. um, but we're saying that within those historical contexts and within those literary contexts that we want to take the data and then put it together and have a theological whole to summarize, again, an attribute of God or the overall picture of justification, yeah. et cetera. So you're talking about biblical theology as well as systematic theology. Talk about the differences of, of those two big categories. Yeah, biblical theology is uh, doing theology according to the Bible's own terms in the chronological order. So this is sometimes called the history of redemption, or redemptive history, or even salvation history. But what it is, is, is looking at the themes and development of those themes across the historical trajectory of the Bible. So you take one example like tabernacle or temple, okay, how does that theme uh, come to be and develop and take on new significance in the New Testament? That's that's the work of biblical theology. Mm, that's good. And systematic theology, to, to contrast it with that, would be um, it's less to do with the narrative that the Bible presents something and the development from you know beginning, middle to end. Systematic theology is taking a doctrine or some kind of idea that is really unchanging in a way through the whole story of the scripture. So, you know, again, we'll use like an attribute of God that um, that God is holy. Well, God's holy in the same way from beginning, middle, and end of the story, but what we mean when we say God is holy and, and what, what is true when you say that true statement, God is holy, well, our understanding of holiness is developed from different bits of revelation that God gives us scattered throughout the whole Bible. And yeah. so, we're going to take those different pieces so that we can, when we say God is holy, we have the most accurate truthful statement of, of that fact that we can apply in those situations. So when the angels in Isaiah 6 are saying, holy, 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 we know from not just that verse, but from what the whole Bible says mm -hmm. about holiness, what those angels are singing and praising God for. Yeah. yeah. But not everybody's a fan of systematic theology, right? I mean, there are some people that say that it's, that it's dangerous yeah. to, to overuse systematic theology or to use it at all. So what... Uh, what are they worried about? Well, and, maybe we should start with legitimate possible dangers of its misuse. Yeah. Um, or overuse. Or overuse, yeah, or the making it the only way in which we use the Bible. Um, to do so would be to change the, the very topography of the Bible, the yeah. very nature of the Bible, the way God has given us his word. He hasn't given us a, a box of puzzle pieces 
um, that we are now just to pull out mm-hmm. and then snap together to make systematic theology. Yeah, it's not like the end goal of reading the Bible is to have a theology textbook yes. at the end of it. Right. Yeah, so I think the way God has given us his word needs to be taken seriously, um, and we need to treat it on its own terms. Um, so so that would be a misuse of systematic theology is to dehistorize the Bible um, to flatten it out, that sort of thing. I think another thing that would, another possible misuse of it, um, is to to only approach every text as uh, so. So I was thinking just a, a bit ago in grander terms, broader terms. Now thinking of a, a specific passage, if you go to Isaiah six and all you see is the doctrine of the holiness of God. Mm. You've missed again the topography of that specific passage. There's a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it. There's Isaiah one through five that right. came before six, and there's going to be some stuff that happens in seven and following that mm-hmm. are really important. Um, I, I think maybe a, an unfair criticism is um, is that it's always cold, that it's always calculated, mm. uh, that it's impersonal, or that it's overly precise. Mm. Um, yeah, I, th- I think we don't want to say more than Scripture says. We don't want to try to get more precise than Scripture does. We want to allow for mystery when there is mystery and something like God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Yeah, there's at some point you reach mystery there, yeah. or yeah. or you know dual authorship of Scripture, mm-hmm. or even the inner workings of the Trinity. At some point we reach mystery there. Um, so some people. Um, maybe would take that truth a little too far and mm-hmm. say, anytime you systematize, anytime you try to bring parts of Scripture together for a theological whole, uh, you're misusing Scripture. And I would just say, I don't think so. I think, again, within Scripture, you actually find Scripture doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think we we need to do it. We just need to do it well yeah. and thoughtfully and carefully and humbly. Yeah. And doesn't yeah. D.A. Carson have a have a circle that kind of helps... Uh, put yeah. all of these different kinds of Bible study. Yeah, um, it's called a hermeneutical circle. Um, so think in terms of the interpretation of a single passage and then how that can be interpreted along, say, biblical theological terms. So whole Bible, what's the development of those ideas in the Bible? And then thinking in terms of systematic theology um, and, and so, in, in D.A. Carson's description of the circle, systematic theology is sort of the the king, the the consummation of mm-hmm. our theological work. And biblical theology is one of the ways in which we get there, mm-hmm. along with what he calls exegesis or interpretation of the passage. But because it's a circle, it keeps going, mm-hmm. right? So our systematic theology is then tested by individual passages, yeah. which influence our biblical theology, which help develop a systematic theology, and then are retested again mm-hmm. by the interpretation of individual passages. And really, the whole of our Christian lives should be something along the lines of being theological Bereans mm-hmm. yep. who keep developing a theology and keep testing that theology according to the Bible itself. And I yeah. think that big idea with what Carson is talking about there is everybody has a systematic theology. Mm-hmm. Everybody is a theologian. Yeah. Um, you you have, when I say God, you're thinking something. You have yeah. some kind of idea about what God is, but it may not be the most accurate understanding of God in all of its in all of we God's all different have theological attributes. presuppositions when we yeah. come to the text and or even come to big doctrines like right. God or sin or 
heaven. Yeah. yeah. And so so we're coming to the text. So take the topic of predestination. You come with a preconceived idea of predestination. And you were predestined you, to come to the that's, text. That's right. That. Yeah. You you came according to God's sovereign will to the text <laughs> uh, with either the right or the wrong understanding of that. Yeah. And you will bring that into the text if mm. you don't let the text challenge you on that and you let other texts about God's sovereignty challenge you on that. And then you are just always working to to sharpen both your theology so that when you're coming to the text, you're reading it rightly, but then you're also letting the text challenge your your theology. And I think that goes back to, you know, why some people are kind of um, against theology is I think there another danger of theology is we can let our theological system govern too much our interpretation of the mm-hmm. text so that we'll come to a text that really just seems to contradict or disagree with our preferred theological system and we will do damage to the text to preserve the organizational structure right. of doctrines that we have in our system. Yeah. An example of that could be, I have a systematic theology of the doctrines of grace. You mentioned predestination, election. And so, I I bring that structure, that system, and then lay it on top of every single text I preach. Mm-hmm. And then I'm basically just preaching that system from, from every possible text Yeah, um, and not not always letting the text speak for itself. Or even letting and, a text about something, you know, to do with man's responsibility to, yeah. to not give that the same kind of weight and tension mm-hmm. that right. it's trying to have mm-hmm. because you're trying to flatten it out to fit. Trying to make it fit your system. Yeah. 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 So so why do we need uh, systematic theology? Why is it, what, what are some of the ways it helps us? Well, we've already kind of hinted at the fact that it helps us make sense of the whole big Bible. The Bible is big. And uh, it's hard to keep straight of, you know, where we are in it and uh, in, in how this part over here, thousands of years later, fits with another part. Um, so, it helps us make sense of the whole Bible. It helps us with what we do know. So, it helps us remember summaries of truth, um, summaries of Scripture, uh, so we don't have to constantly rediscover things. I think that's important. If we if we pretended to every time we came to the Bible we are a um, a blank slate, uh, we better throw out our theology that we've learned as kids, and we better theo- mm-hmm. throw out any theology we've read in someone else's book, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, well, first it's naive. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, it's very not humble <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, to think that you can be you know equipped to handle God's word well um, with without you know standing on the shoulders of those who've come before us and even standing on the shoulders of other times you've encountered God's word and learned truth in other books. Yeah. Um, so I think it helps us with what we know. It's sort of, um, uh, it, it helps us with quick hand. Yeah. So we can just like with short summary, we can say, hey, omnipresence, like I can say that to you and I'm what I'm doing is summarizing lots of verses from the Bible. And, uh, and so it helps us with yeah. quick communication um, and then related to that, it helps us teach others. Mm. So we call this catechizing, right? Yeah. A catechism is a question and answer program, usually for children, but not necessarily just for children. Um, and essentially, that's the work of systematic theology. You know, um, why did God make you he, yeah. for his glory? That's a, those are theological categories. Um, and so it helps us instruct the next generation, yeah, even when we talk about the gospel in shorthand around here, sometimes we'll we'll use systems like God, man, Christ, response. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's using systematic theology to to 
kind of neatly package mm-hmm. the whole Bible's teaching right. on those four things that really get to the heart and the heat of the gospel. Right. Yeah. Um, so systematic theology can be useful in just uh, explaining to someone who doesn't know about the gospel, uh, explaining it quickly and neatly and in a way that that's, that captures the whole biblical story. Right, and the, and the point in that is what you're trying to say is what the Bible says. Yeah. So you are not you're not putting your own thoughts into that. You're trying to give an accurate description of what God has revealed about Himself. And and something else that I like about what you just said is um, that 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 creates unity in the church. Mm-hmm. You know that mm-hmm. we have these these simple statements these simple truths that reflect what the Bible says. And in that we can kind of say, okay, this is this is who's in and who's out of the church then, you know? And then even within that, within our, this is why we have a statement of faith as a church, which our is a- covenant of fellowship, it, statement you know, of faith. Th- these yeah. are theological documents. Uh, very, the, Our statement of faith is a very, very short systematic theology. Yep. And mm-hmm. we say, this is what we as a church believe. It's not everything that we believe, but this is the stuff that we unite around. It's essential. And yeah. and that we have agreement here. So we here. confess together. Yeah, right. And yeah. then even with that, you know, another category that we haven't brought up yet, or we've hinted at it, is historical theology. And mm-hmm. that is the the development of any one of these loci. Is that the plural? Loki? Yeah, locus. Loki. Yeah, there you go. The development of any one of these categories over the whole span of church history. So yeah. how have they interacted? And, you know, mm-hmm. we didn't have the word Trinity coming right after the Bible was written. That took some time to develop. And then even thinking through the implications of all of that. So to situate ourselves as united with mm-hmm. the Orthodox church over all of history as well. And that doesn't mean that it's infallible. You know, that church, you know, that historical theology is always right. It doesn't need to be challenged, but it just helps us to, to find ourselves in the place of the whole community of God's people. Mm-hmm. Yep. It also protects us from error, right? How can mm-hmm. how can systematic theology protect us from heresy? Well, to yes, to compare what that's saying with what we just said, some people will avoid the plain reading of a passage because it messes with their current theology mm. wrongly. Yep. Right. So let's we've already said that. Yep. Let's underscore that. As we also say. Systematic theology helps us with ruling out aberrant possible interpretations of difficult texts. An example would be there are passages in Hebrews, which a passage by itself like Hebrews 6, Mm -hmm. it sounds like you can lose your salvation there. Mm -hmm. So a rule of interpretation is that we interpret the implicit with the explicit. It's implied in Hebrews 6 that someone might lose their salvation. But it's explicit in Romans 8 that you can't, and it's explicit many times over. So my interpretation of Romans 8 and now that theological category of the perseverance of the saints, I've got that doctrine in my pocket now. I come to Hebrews 6, hmm, it looks like you can lose your salvation here. Well, hold on. Romans 8 is explicit. You can't. If you're truly his, you won't lose your salvation. So Hebrews 6 must be saying something else. Now, if if there's enough of one uh, possible interpretation that I keep rubbing up against, then maybe I do need to reconsider Mm -hmm. the theological whole. That's that hermeneutical or interpretive circle that we were talking about earlier. But generally speaking... Uh, I, I know as I prepare a sermon sometimes, I think, 
boy, I don't know what that passage says. Well, hold on. I know two things it doesn't say Mm -hmm. because of these theological things that I've already come to agree on uh, based on God's Word elsewhere. Yeah, so a systematic theology would help us consider the amount of ink spilled on any given topic in in God's Word. Ink spilled meaning just the weight. Yeah, there's a lot of material on it. Yeah, the amount of material. So um, I find that really helpful. And yeah, your statement on on the implicit with the explicit, the the less clear with the most right. clear. Mm-hmm. We interpret the less clear with what is most clear. Um, that's, a, that's a good rule to, to follow in your yeah. biblical interpretation. And if you see aberrant teachings, heretical teachings out there, that's what they always do is they will make much of a very unclear passage, almost as a proof text. They'll expand on these things and make it say something that contradicts other parts of the Bible, but they're kind of putting more weight on this unclear text mm-hmm. and a bad interpretation mm-hmm. of an unclear text when there's clear texts that clearly undermine yeah. the, the system that they've got. Yeah, an old saying is um, every heretic has his verse. Mm-hmm. Heresies <laughs> don't come by rejecting the Bible. They come by misinterpreting the Bible. Right. And so they've taken oftentimes this minuscule part of the Bible, this obscure part of the Bible, or less clear part of the Bible, and they make that the mm-hmm. um, the, the interpretive key for the whole Bible, and then they're led astray. And I think, yeah. that, again, going back to the development of theology and historical theology, that's why we are not quick to dismiss creeds, and, you know, especially older creeds in the church. We're not quick to uh, dismiss things that have been a Reformation consensus for 500 years. You know, what's that saying that uh, if it's new, it ain't true? <laughs> you know, yeah. that we really want to be quick before we go to some totally novel interpretation of something when you say, yeah. okay, nobody for the last 2,000 years has said this about the Bible. I'm probably just wrong, yeah. you know, that be the this consensus of Yeah, what's more likely, that we're the first ones to think of it or... Right. <laughs> or that we've drifted off the path. Right. And yeah. that's why it is, you know, a, a good exercise to be familiarized yourself with the, what the writings of the church have been throughout history, you know, yeah. to not just read. Creeds, confessions. Yeah. Yeah. And to study, study the church fathers, yeah. study, you know, church mm-hmm. history, because they, they have answered a lot of these questions already, you know. Mm-hmm. And they've usually answered them really well. That's right. Um, yeah. If we're still on this topic of why we need systematic theology, I think a really practical one is that systematic theology essentially anticipates questions. Mm. And so I think our people, we've already said we all have a theology. I think people actually do theology more than we um, sometimes admit. So what I mean by that is I think when someone's listening to a Sunday morning sermon, a lot of people in the pew are thinking, wait a minute, how does this relate to that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. what? So you encounter a demon, a demon in, in the Gospels. Okay, so what is it? What is a demon? Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to have to go outside of that one passage and say Mark 5, uh, elsewhere in the Bible to find out what demons are, what limitations and powers they have. Mm. Um, Where they come from. Right. Mm-hmm. And you think of non-Christians who would might be there on a Sunday for Mark 5. They hear demon. What do they think? They, yeah. they might think uh, ghosts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They might think that this is an ancient bad way of describing physical maladies or mm-hmm. insanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So we, we almost have to give a whole Bible picture um, anticipating that someone will be there who's asking that 
essentially systematic yeah. theology question. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. And how does that relate to this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's systematic theology. Well, that's, a, that's a good segue, Ryan, to uh, thinking about systematic theology in the role of preaching. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Mark 5, you mentioned Hebrews 6, these tricky passages. How can systematic theology um, help you guys and uh, in your preaching? And then what happens when it's done poorly? Well, hopefully I won't do this poorly, but the sermon that's coming up this Sunday, um, I'm going to kind of do just what Ryan said, explicitly say, this probably raises some questions for us. It's about prayer. The sermon is about prayer. Prayer has, you know, there's some mystery involved in how prayer works with God's sovereignty and what about unanswered prayers, things like that. So I'm just going to take a minute in this passage about prayer to do what Ryan said, take a step back address some of those questions and kind of say, bring in some more biblical data. You know, Jesus also says this about prayer. James says this about prayer. So how do we fit this all together with what we know about God's sovereignty? So hopefully that's a good way of doing it is to anticipate those questions. And as a preacher, whether explicitly or just kind of as you're going, answer those questions so that they're settled before they even come up. Yeah. I think how it's done poorly, uh, we've already hinted at this as well. Um, imagine going to John 3, where Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born again. And then imagine that the sermon is essentially um, the preacher's version of a systematic theology covering regeneration, Mm -hmm. the new birth. Well, it's no longer writing the terrain of the text. So I think it's probably good at some point in that sermon to pause and say, mm-hmm. what are we talking about here? Jesus is talking about the new birth. What does the Bible say about that elsewhere? What are the implications mm-hmm. of that? I think that's probably wise preaching. Mm-hmm. But if you're only preaching the doctrine, it's just doctrinal preaching and it's not really biblical preaching. So unlike a book of the a, a non-biblical book, a book by J.I. Packer, a book by R.C. Sproul, that investigates what is the new birth, what is regeneration. It doesn't have to tie itself to one single text like mm-hmm. a Sunday morning sermon has to. It can be just a systematic treatment, and we can greatly benefit from that. However, on a Sunday, a preacher should be beginning with a text mm-hmm. and writing that terrain somewhat while he occasionally has a theological mind to what's being assumed in the passage that really can be explained elsewhere from from elsewhere in the Bible. Yeah, I yeah. think like that, that you say assumed any text is going to have doctrines propping it up. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the writer, the author is coming to that and they know God's how God's sovereignty works. They know what a demon is. They know these. And so I'm thinking when I'm preaching does this odd is my audience as caught up on these doctrines as the writer was? And if they're not, then maybe that's going to be some opportunity for me to fill in that theological gap there, just so that the text that's resting on top of those doctrines can be preached clearly. You know, there's going to be something that that they're not going to understand because they may not have a clear understanding of this, what the whole Bible says about this one doctrine. I'm going to spend some time doing that, but it's not to preach the doctrine. It's just to make sure the text is as clear as it can be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. So outside of a sermon or a seminary class, what are the practical implications for systematic theology? Well, practical implications, I think... um, because this is the study of God, 
Um, it's about knowing him, mm-hmm. right? That's very personal. Um, that's very covenantal. It's relational. And, and hence, it should be worshipful. Yeah. Um, it's J.I. Packer, I think, who, you know, coined the phrase that theology is for doxology. Mm-hmm. So the study of God is for the worship of mm-hmm. God. So mm-hmm. uh, we want to encounter God. Yeah. And we want to encounter the true and living God. We want to encounter him aright. Mm-hmm. So that's why we want to get it right. But we don't want to get it right as this merely classroom, merely sterile, merely intellectual pursuit. Yeah. It's possibly in a classroom, possibly with a book, likely with a book, if if not just the Bible. Um, it's with a teacher. That's certainly possible. Um, but But it's... It's also an encounter with the living God. And so if we don't ever have a moment where Habakkuk put his hand over his face, you know, over his mouth and, and stopped talking, um, Isaiah said, woe is me, I am yeah. undone. I'm a man of unclean Job. lips because he's yeah. seen the holiness of God. Mm, yeah. yeah, Job has, a, a, of course, a wonderful reaction to um, God God's revelation himself. at the yeah. end of Job. Yeah, on and on it goes. Mm. Um, so... We want to be the Apostle Paul laid low in the dirt from the encounter of the risen Christ on that road to Damascus. So we want to encounter God. Yeah, beliefs shape our behavior. So what we believe about God will affect the way we live, the way we love, and and treat our neighbors. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you want to get that right, you we should get theology right. Yeah, and I I think it's it's really rewarding. It's a very satisfying pursuit. Um, it's another way I think of getting to know. God, um, to, to just, you know, even kind of set a challenge for yourself and say, okay, I want to, I want to pick a doctrine or an idea in the Bible. And I want to kind of do an independent study on this thing that I'm not as clear on, you know, eschatology. I don't really, I want to know everything that the Bible says about what the last days is going to be like and how everything's going to come together and, and find those places where it talks about it. You know, I, I remember having an experience one time where, uh, I was doing just that and I and I got a picture in my head. It's like in your, you know, you've got the drawer where all your silverware goes mm-hmm. and you've got the little box and all of the different kinds of silverware go yeah. on the different things. And it just felt like, oh, God was kind of doing that with his word for me. And I was mm-hmm. able to sort of put these different things that had always confused me. I, I finally knew where they fit in different ways. And that, you know, the, the other great thing about theology is, I mean, we always forget some things, but it builds on itself, you know? And mm-hmm. so, you're just getting more and more clear. Things are getting more organized as you do this hermeneutical spiral or cir- circle on itself that you come to the Bible and every time you read it, it just gets a little bit more clear. You're able to bring in the other things that the Bible says. And, and again, to that end, it just helps you know and worship God better. It is a yeah. big book and hopefully sy- systematic theology done right, done well, uh, applied to the text uh, could make the Bible a little bit smaller as, yeah. we, as we start to, yeah. to grasp these huge, massive uh, doctrines. In I heard somebody... Uh, reference it as as a a symphony, um, mm. and considering a symphony. So as a musician, you you study music. Um, so for me to fully appreciate a symphony as a musician, I wouldn't simply uh, just listen to it, um, though that's beneficial mm-hmm. to listen to it to hear the themes picked up all the way throughout. So that mm-hmm. that for me would be closer to like biblical theology mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. hearing the, the themes that are picked up throughout a symphony in different instruments, different parts in different ways. Uh, the same musical theme or hook can be woven throughout the score. Um, but also for me to really study and know it is I would look at the score. Mm-hmm. I would actually just look at the paper 
mm-hmm. and the ink that the composer put on the paper and see kind of zoom out and see all the notes laid out mm-hmm. and see different things that the composer was doing with the different parts yeah. so almost like each each score so the cello part the right. oboe the horns those are different and to study systems. it isolated gives you a better appreciation for how this right. all fits together in the whole but i would yeah. never to appreciate a, a symphony i would never simply do one or the other i wouldn't just look at the right. score and be yeah. like, oh this is really interesting right. mm-hmm. you have to right. listen to it you still have to hear God's word, read God's mm-hmm. word mm-hmm. and experience it in that that the way that it's that it's given to us as mm-hmm. well. So Right. I would say it's a it's a lifelong pursuit, right? Yeah. So I think we should all be progressively pursuing uh, knowing God better and knowing his word more more firmly and clearly. Um so I'd encourage anyone listening to this who's never really gotten into theology um, you should. You, you should begin to do so. Not everyone's going to do it at the same level, uh, and that's okay. And you should actually, I think, lean on those who have done it more and better than you have. Yeah. I know Chase and I do that. We mm-hmm. both went to seminary, but but there are those who know theology better than we do, and oh, yeah. um, we're uh, yeah. certainly benefited by opening up their books and, and learning from well, them. Well, I'm, I'm glad to help you guys anytime you need, So I, every time you have questions. Or Chris Sayers, we're sitting in our sound guy's office, and I'm staring at Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology on his shelf, and I'm thinking he's got to be one of the only sound guys in the world that has <laughs> Wayne Grudem's Systematic sitting on his shelf. Yeah. Uh, so... To transition now to, to resources. So what's that next step for somebody who wants to? Because most often these systematic theology books, they're the big ones mm-hmm. in the pastor's library. Mm-hmm. So they can be pretty intimidating. They can be pretty daunting. Yeah. So help us with next steps. What I recommend is a, a good first step. Although I'm just rereading it recently with our family, I find that the language is a little bit dated. Um, but both J.I. Packer, his little book called Concise Theology, mm-hmm. has maybe 120 brief chapters on 120 doctrines. Uh, again, that's the one that has a little bit more of the archaic language. R.C. Sproul has one that's similar, Foundations of the Christian Faith or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And it's basically doing the exact same thing. Sproul writes a little more clearly mm-hmm. than Packer does. Um, you mentioned Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. That's Many hundred pages. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many. many. It's, it's long, and it's it's a good intro. I think probably most Christians in our church could read it with great benefit. That's where I, I got started. I've theology. encouraged all kinds yeah. of Christians to just have it on the shelf. When you've got a question, you go looking for the yeah. answer there, mm-hmm. and yeah. chances are you'll be really helped. I yeah. use it as a reference, and I love that that uh, Wayne Grudem puts a, a hymn at the end at of the every end chapter. of every section. You would, that, of course. Um, <laughs> Uh, that that relates to that that doctrine that yeah. topic. So, yeah. he, and so Chase, it ends with doxology. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chase, you mentioned when we were talking before we started uh, with this podcast that there are other versions of Wayne Grudem's systematic yeah, theology thankfully. that you've used. <laughs> yeah, because his systematic theology, I think it is close to a thousand pages long, and it, and it is good. I don't agree. And let's put that caveat on this: we don't agree with every thing that anybody's really written. You know, there, every theology is going to have things that we might. Yeah, we should uh, probably put that with. caveat on every resource we've ever recommended probably. on this podcast. Yeah. That uh, except may- those by D. A. Carson, <laughs> right? right. D. A. Carson or Tom Schreiner. Everything, yeah, right? That's right. Um, uh, but no, but yeah. I mean, read it with I was I was really that Wayne Grudem's was the first systematic theology book that I ever really cracked into. But thankfully, uh, he and then his son they made a condensed version of that. I think called Christian Doctrine. That's about three hundred pages, and then they made a, an even smaller one that's about a hundred pages called. Uh, Christian, beliefs. Christian beliefs, 20 yeah. basics that every Christian should know. 
that one is really, really helpful. If you just want a good jumping off point, it covers, you know, Grudem's Baptistic and Reformed and, um, you know, has a great understanding of scripture and inerrancy and all that. So uh, that's that's a really good place. Um, you mentioned R.C. Sproul, and I was thinking, I have been helped by so many audio resources mm-hmm. when it comes to theology. Um, Sproul is a big one, and you mm-hmm. can you can download the, the Ligonier app on your phone, and they've got him and all the other guys related with Ligonier that go into all kinds of different doctrines and things, you know. And These I'm, videos are now on YouTube. Yeah. You can yeah. get all kinds of eight-minute, mm-hmm. five-minute, ten-minute videos of Sproul answering this on, or that on, question on All on kinds YouTube. of stuff. And if you've mm-hmm. never really listened to R.C. Sproul or gotten into him, I mean, he is just uh, such a gift to the church. Yeah. You know, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's really good. And then, you know, another thing is, if there's a specific doctrine or topic, you know, maybe, so this is like the next next step, if you've kind of covered some basic overall theologies, um, if there's a specific doctrine to dive into one good book, you know, one good study on that, uh, I think would be another really beneficial thing is to, to get into, um, yeah, a, a book about eschatology, yeah. you know, like Ken Riddlebarger on yeah. adoption. Kind of, you, right. you, you name the topic and we can recommend some books mm-hmm. along those lines. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing we'd suggest is uh, you don't know where to turn next. Um, ask any one of us or any of our elders or any of the um, staff. We would love to help you. Mm-hmm. And, and another resource is our book nook. Yeah. Uh, we we prune that. We not mm-hmm. prune it. What's the word? We curate. Uh, we curate. That's the word I was looking for. Well, there is some pruning. Yeah, you occasionally, know. <laughs> pruning, but but yeah, uh, mostly it's curating excellent resources to put in your hands at the exact same prices that you can find on Amazon. And I think that is a good point. This is why you have pastors, right? You're not out there on your own. There are lots of bad books out there. There are lots of people doing theology that I don't agree with, and um, so. Don't don't try and reinvent the wheel. Come and ask somebody that you trust that's doing this farther, and and they'll give you one that you're just not having to filter out the bad stuff. It just it's stuff that we would agree with. You know, Chase. If only there were like a class coming up. Oh uh, yeah, that we that our people could take at church. I tell you what, we're gonna do that. All right. Yeah, actually, uh, starting in September. Uh, I think it's September 1st you is the first Wednesday of the month, but we're going to start doing a Wednesday night class. This is one of our DSI classes, um, not on Sunday mornings because we're about to be under construction. So Wednesday nights at 6.30, 6.30 to about 8, except for Lord's Supper and members meetings. Um, we're going to have a systematic theology class that's going to go Great. from September through May, and we're going to go through kind of the the typical order of doctrine, starting with the Bible, um, God, proper Salvation, eschatology, all and those D. A. things. D.A. Carson's going to be teaching that class? Um, D.A. Carson will be quoted in that <laughs> class, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'll be teaching vicariously through you. Yeah, but you can sign up for that already. We've got the link open, and we're going to start announcing that. So, Excellent. yeah, if, if you want to get into theology. And, and what's really great about that, too, is, as we've been saying, theology is not something you should really do by yourself. It's something that you should do in community. Absolutely. And so here's going to be a class of people together with you. Mm. It'll be time to ask questions and then hopefully hook up with somebody there in the class that you can talk before or after or go get coffee and keep talking about the stuff that we're doing. But but we do it in community as a church. Yeah, that's good. Good stuff, guys. Thanks for your time. I hope if you've been listening that this makes you want to read your Bible more, love God, and love your neighbor more. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. it's just the goal of all of these podcasts. So if you have any questions for us, reach out to us at info at dscabq.com or uh, reach out to Chase, Ryan, or myself. Um, but uh, that's all for now. We'll keep 
spreading God's glory broader and deeper. Pod on Sistheo. Welcome back to the podcast of Desert Springs Church, which exists to supplement the income (laughs) of Desert Springs Church. (laughs) Supplemental income. (laughs) Wow. I I sure hope that's not the purpose. (laughs) We we broke. Even more. Welcome back to this podcast of Desert Springs Church. Wow. Start over.